What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So, you know I love spicy food, right? And I love chocolate, but... I don't really love this trend of spicy and chocolate. I am 100% with you on this because I love spicy food and I love chocolate too, but I don't want any chili powder like in my hot chocolate or chocolate or any of that stuff. I know. Why why are people always mixing those flavors? But I was looking into it and I found possibly the worst example of super spicy chocolate. Oh, yeah. There's a company that sprouted up in 2016 called Pepper Bomb Your Mom. Sounds like an insult. Yeah. I mean, it was, I guess, a joke that you could play on people where you'd buy a chocolate-coated Carolina Reaper for $9.99 and then send it to a loved one. Or, I guess, the opposite of a loved one. I was going to say, that is not something you want to send to a loved one. I know. Carolina Reapers are so spicy. Actually, we've talked about these before. Aren't they even spicier than, like, ghost peppers? Yeah, they are. So, I'm not sure if it's, like, the threat of lawsuits that closed this business or the fact that too many moms complained about it. But uh, Pepper Bomb Your Mom, sadly, doesn't send out pepper bombs anymore. (laughs) Sadly. (laughs) I, I do want to get into the more tempting part of that recipe, which is the chocolate. Why humans are so obsessed with it whether it's really as healthy as all these reports would have us believe, and why doesn't it taste more like tropical custard the way the beans do? Let's dig in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Shatikader. And on the other side of the soundproof glass, munching his way through a Whitman sampler. <laughs> That's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. Actually, by the way, that sampler looks like it's meant for more than one person, wouldn't you say, Mango? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's got to be like 30, 40 ounces of chocolate sitting there. I know, but I actually tried to grab a piece earlier, and uh, Tristan slapped my hand away. Wow. <laughs> Apparently, he's busy ranking all the different chocolates for his blog. Oh, really? His blog? Mm-hmm. Well, that's at least that's something to look forward to, so I'll, I'll leave it be then. <laughs> so, you know what's funny is right before Hurricane Sandy, the night before the storm hit, 
Like Lizzie sent me to a convenience store to get some last minute supplies and we were pretty stocked up. But just in case, I went to pick up some like extra toilet paper and water and I think batteries. But mm-hmm. uh, the weather was bad. So like there were only two other guys in the store in line. And the first guy had the shopping cart filled with beer and condoms. <laughs> That's all he had. And, uh, and then I was there with like TP and, and water in my hands. And, uh, and then this other guy had this shopping cart that was just filled with chocolate, <laughs> just like bags and bags of candy. And I, I remember like glancing around and like being a little confused and thinking, well, we all have different definitions of being prepared. Yeah. It sounds like everybody was ready for very different nights. That's pretty great. All right. Well, I know we're going to get into the ancient history of chocolate, but. It is kind of amazing that chocolate is the world's favorite candy. In fact, chocolate-based candies far outsell fruit-based candies in almost every country on the planet. Now, Denmark's love of Haribo gummies makes it one of the few exceptions to the rule, and and I have to respect that. They're pretty good. Mm -hmm. But this year alone, nearly 8 million tons of chocolate is expected to be sold and consumed worldwide. Now, that amounts to over $100 billion in revenue for one year. That's crazy. So how much of that is thanks to, like, American chocoholics? Well, actually, not as much as you might think. So even though the average American eats about 10 pounds of chocolate every year, we actually only rank 20th in terms of national chocolate consumption. And that's according to data released by Euromonitor. You know, Euromonitor. <laughs> yeah, I get their newsletter. <laughs> so we uh, we consume our own body weight in chocolate every 10 years or so, and that's still only good enough for 20th place. Yep. That's really confusing. How much chocolate are these other countries eating? Well, it's probably no surprise that Switzerland ranks number one, and each person there consumes on average about 20 pounds of chocolate every year. And so that's twice as much as the average American. And then Germany and Austria are tied for second. They have about, I don't know, say 17 to 18 pounds per year. England and Ireland come in uh, right after those. And then you go to the other end of the spectrum. And these are places where chocolate really doesn't dominate the sweet market. And, and China's an example of that. So the average Chinese citizen eats less than half a pound of chocolate a year. So that means people in Switzerland eat 40 times as much chocolate as those in China. <laughs> That's amazing. So this is completely off topic, but I, I can't stop thinking about it. Did you realize that cacao beans are related to okra? And actually to durian as well, that super smelly fruit. Like they're all from the same family. And I kind of want to tell my kids, like, I'm so sorry. I I couldn't pick you up any chocolate from the store, but I got its cousin a bag of okra for you. (laughs) (laughs) But you were talking about chocolate consumption. Where do the actual cacao producing countries fall on that list? Actually, just to go back to that, that would mean that chocolate is technically a vegetable then, right? Yeah, that's true. Good excuse (laughs) to eat it. All right. So the actual cacao producing countries, African and South American countries account for the vast majority of the world's cacao production. And that's the type of seed pod that's used to make chocolate. But despite being the first and most crucial link in the chocolate supply chain, these countries actually don't consume very much chocolate at all. In fact, the highest chocolate consumption rate in all of South America is actually in Chile. And the average person there eats less than four pounds of chocolate per year. And the numbers are even lower in Africa. So the entire continent consumes fewer than 4% of all the chocolate sold worldwide. Wow. And so I'm guessing the low consumption rate in these countries isn't due to like cultural preferences like it is in China. Right. I I mean, ancient civilizations in South America are pretty much invented chocolate. So it's not like the people there don't have a taste for it. Yeah, that's that's really not what it is. I mean, it comes down to the low average income of of several of these countries. And when you think about it, if you're living on a few dollars or even less than a dollar a day, then it just doesn't make sense in the budget to spend on a luxury item like chocolate. Sure. So... 
I actually saw this report from Oxfam about the economics of the chocolate trade and how skewed it is, especially for cacao farmers. And apparently, if you divide up the cost of producing a chocolate bar from start to finish, the farmer who cultivated the raw cacao only gets about 3%. Meanwhile, about 43% of the price we pay for a chocolate bar is profit for the retailer. Wow. All right. So so 3% of the people who actually grow it and harvest it and, and you know kind of provide that main ingredient for chocolate and then... 43% to those who sell the final product. Is that what you're mm-hmm. saying? Wow, that does, does seem pretty skewed. Yeah, so I, I actually remember this video that made the rounds a few years ago where this reporter for this international news site visits some cacao farmers on the Ivory Coast. And the Ivory Coast is the world's largest producer of cacao beans. It turns out roughly, I want to say like 1.5 million tons of it every year. But processed chocolate isn't really available. So when you do find it, it's really exorbitant. Like, I, I think a bar costs about a third of what the average worker makes in a single day. Oh, wow. Which means that many farmers who cultivate cacao have actually never tasted the final product. I mean, it kind of makes you want to go there and give them a taste of this stuff. Yeah, and, and so the video, right? Like, the this reporter gives a chocolate bar to a local farmer named Alphonse, and he takes his first bite, and you see his face just light up. He's like, I didn't know cacao was so yummy. And then he and the reporter hop on a motorbike to share the chocolate with other farmers. And when he passes the chocolate bar around, Alphonse tells the other farmers, this is why white people are so healthy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I, I know there's more we wanted to cover about cacao production and some of the other challenges that it involves. But since you brought up these health benefits of chocolate, I, I do think we should take a few minutes to do, I don't know, some kind of a true-false breakdown of whether it actually is good for your health. Yeah, I mean, chocolate's one of those things like red wine that you always hear about has all these surprising health benefits, but then you never get a good sense of how much of that is backed by science and how much is just wishful thinking by people who really want to eat a lot of chocolate. I mean, like, I, I feel like I usually hear that dark chocolate is healthier because it has less sugar and more cacao than milk chocolate. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense. But at the end of the day, it's still just a comparison between two kinds of chocolate. So you're still kind of left wondering, is chocolate itself healthy? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that distinction between dark and milk chocolate, because that difference in sugar and cacao is, is really where these claims about chocolate's health benefits kind of live or die. And, and that's because cacao products contain a high amount of plant-derived flavanols. So I think you should explain what flavanols are. It's just a word I made up. It just sounded good. But no, for real, they're actually the biological compounds that occur in, in some foods. It's not, not just chocolate, but unprocessed cacao is an example of that. And since flavanols possess, you know, antioxidant and blood vessel relaxing and these anti-inflammatory qualities, they're, they're often associated with markers of good health, like, you know, balanced cholesterol or blood pressure or various other measures like this. So all, all those reports about how eating chocolate promotes heart health, that's basically because of the flavanols. Yeah, that's where that comes from. But but again, the blanket statement that chocolate is good for your health is, is a little misleading. <laughs> you know, but because of his higher flavanol count, cacao has a much better case for being healthy than chocolate does, I guess. But, you know, even then, it's not like cacao is the only source of plant-derived flavanols or, or even the best one, really. In fact, you can usually find more flavanols in tea or grape juice or wine and, you know, several other fruits than you would in, in say, cacao. <laughs> say cacao. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the Brooklyn Nine-Nine where that guy Terry starts uh, eating cacao nibs? You no. Know, and because they're so much healthier for you than chocolate. And then he keeps eating them, keeps eating them, and suddenly he's like bloated by the, <laughs> by the middle <laughs> of the, the show. From the cacao nibs. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so there may be some indirect health benefits for eating chocolate, but you'd basically get the same or better results from other foods, right? 
Yeah, and in most cases, the results probably would be better with tea or berries than it would with with chocolate. And and that's largely because the heating process involved in standard chocolate manufacturing, it actually burns away much of the flavonol concentration that you would find in those fresh cacao seeds. So, you know, if you want to eat the healthiest chocolate that you can find, you should go for the dark chocolate with at least 70 or 80 percent cacao. And the flavonol concentration will be much higher than in any milk chocolate bar, which contains about 15% cacao or less, but 20 to 25% fat and, and 40 to 50% sugar. Well, I usually prefer the bitter taste of dark chocolate to like the overly sweet taste of milk chocolate, but I'm kind of surprised there isn't more of a middle ground, like something that melts in your mouth like milk chocolate does, but also tastes less sugary. Well, I have to say as a fan of milk chocolate, all of this is kind of disappointing to me, <laughs> but I do have good news for you though, Mango, because Researchers out of Temple University in Philly have actually found a new way to cut the fat content from chocolate by using nothing other than electricity. <laughs> like they shock the fat away with one of those crazy <laughs> exercise belts? I kind of wish that was what they were doing, but no, it's not not exactly that. So you do remember Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and they're walking alongside the Chocolate River, and they're all those industrial pipes sucking up the chocolate, right? Definitely. Augustus Gloop falls in. <laughs> that was pretty funny. That, you you like that movie, right? Yeah, I loved it. Oh, man, it's such a great movie. Well, it's actually, there's something we can learn from that, because the chocolate makers really are dependent on this pipe system to move liquid chocolate from one stage of production to the next. And the problem is that the thicker and more viscous a liquid is, the higher the chance it'll clog up the pipes, a la Augustus Gloop. <laughs> and since cutting the fat content results in a denser and less smooth chocolate, producing low-fat chocolate typically leads to a lot of blockages. So explain how electricity helps with that. Well, there's this phenomenon called electrorheology, and it's basically when an electric field is used to turn a semi-solid like jello into a liquid state or, or vice versa. So in the case of chocolate, the field from the electrified pipes causes its chunky cacao particles and milk solids to, to, to really to line up in these chains. And, and this makes the chocolate flow through the pipes much more easily. So, so not only will the new process lead to fewer clogs, it'll actually allow chocolatiers to use 10 to 20% less butter per batch. Hmm. And the best part is that according to the authors of the study, the resulting chocolate delivers a stronger cacao flavor and significantly less fat. Which sounds like a dream come true. Not to me, to be honest with you. I kind of want the, the more butter. <laughs> but, you know, uh, there, there are a few health benefits to chocolate that go beyond the physical. So, for one thing, chocolate contains caffeine, which obviously has a stimulating effect on the brain. But there are also these other feel-good chemicals in there, too. There's phenylethylamine, which is a stimulant that raises the endorphin level in the brain. And there's also something called uh, anandamide, which is similar to one of the active chemicals in marijuana. All right, so between its caffeine and those other feel-good chemicals you mentioned, chocolate is clearly a mood enhancer, and, and this is real. There's even a study from Oxford that found that even just looking at a picture of chocolate was enough to trigger cravings and mood boost in some chocolate fiends. <laughs> and uh, don't forget, eating chocolate is also a surefire way to restore a little happiness after a bout with a dementor, <laughs> which is, you know, at least the case in Harry Potter. <laughs> I thought you might figure out a way to put in a Harry Potter reference. That's a, that's a really helpful tip, though, Mango. <laughs> chocolate frogs. Well, now that we've covered the health benefits of chocolate, both real and imaginary, I, I do feel like we should take a closer look at how humans became obsessed with the sweet stuff in the first place. Absolutely. But before we dive in, let's take a quick break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. 
a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the origins of mankind's love affair with chocolate. All right, Mango, so I know you did some digging into the early years of chocolate. So do you want to walk us through, you know, what you found in the process? Sure. So the best place to start is with the cacao tree and its beans. And for anyone who's wondering, cacao and cocoa are the same thing. You can use the terms interchangeably because they both refer to the same exact bean. But even though Africa is now the world's largest cocoa producer, the trees aren't native to the region. They were actually brought over as a cash crop to aid the struggling region. And the true starting point of chocolate's long history is in Mexico, Central, and South America. And that's where the equatorial climate provided the best place for the native cacao tree to thrive. All right, so just another quick note on the terminology here. So the cacao beans that these trees produce, they're really seeds, though, right? Yeah, they're, they're not actually beans in the same way that, like, coconut milk is in milk. So... We're just going to go with it. Yeah. But uh, the, the trees produce these big yellowish seed pods that kind of look like Nerf footballs. <laughs> and each pod contains about 40 beans, which are what's actually used to make chocolate. So once you crack open the pod's thick husk, the beans are released along with this sweet, sticky pulp that supposedly tastes something between like a cross of uh, lemonade and apple custard. <laughs> actually sounds pretty mm. good. Yeah, but, but the beans and the pulp are left to ferment for a few days before being dried and roasted. And from there, the cocoa beans can be ground up and then made into a chocolate beverage. All right. So if that's what was done first, who were the very first people to drink chocolate? So most of the evidence points to the ancient Olmecs. They were actually the earliest known civilization to appear in Mexico, and archaeologists have found pieces of Olmec pots and vessels from around 1500 BCE that contain traces of theobromine. This is a, a stimulant found in chocolate. And in fact, the Latin name for the cacao tree is theobromine cacao, which translates to chocolate food of the gods, which actually ends up being a pretty fitting name since it's believed that the Olmecs used the ground beans to make a special drink for religious ceremonies. It's always funny to think about the first people to discover something like chocolate. Like, mm. isn't that such a, like, <laughs> oh my God, this tastes so good. I got to go tell everybody about this thing that I don't have a name for, but... 
But but why is there uncertainty about who invented drinking chocolate? I mean, from what you've said, it sounds like the Olmecs kind of have this wrapped up. Yeah, but pottery with traces of cacao have been found in southern Ecuador as well. So those are believed to date back at least 5,500 years. So the Shuar Indians who lived in the region also have a potential claim to this chocolate drinking. The truth is there's tainted pottery in a lot of places, and that leaves a lot of room for interpretation. And since the Olmecs don't actually have any written history to go on, some of the theories surrounding them could be off. For instance, some researchers think that the Olmecs used uh, only the tropical flavor cacao pulp to make the drink rather than the bitter beans. Well, I can't say I blame. I mean, when you say it tasted like, what did you say, apple custard lemonade or something <laughs> like that? That sounds a yeah. lot better than like bitter bean water or something. Yeah, but bitter bean water of the gods. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but regardless of who came up with the idea first, we do know for certain that the Mayans ran with it. Like their written history includes numerous mentions of chocolate-based drink made from the cacao seeds. And uh, because Mayans had yet to develop a good roasting technique to mellow the flavors, it was probably pretty bitter. So so what was in it exactly? It was just ground beans and water or what? Yeah, or sometimes seasonings would be added like vanilla or honey or chili pepper. So how did the Mayans think about chocolate? They Did they consider it the food of the gods or were they a little more level-headed about the way they approached it? No, I mean, they were full-on crazy for chocolate. They, <laughs> they, they'd leave the drink as offerings to their gods. And there are also paintings recovered from the time that show cacao in mythological scenes. <laughs> it was also a kind of a way to settle important legal matters or even seal the deal on a marriage. Wow. For example, like early records of Mayan marriages show that in some places, a woman had to prepare a cacao drink to prove that she could get that thick, frothy consistency just right. I mean, it does kind of make sense because, I mean, could you ever see yourself loving somebody who can't properly froth <laughs> a pot of chocolate? I don't even know what that means, but no. I can't imagine it. No. <laughs> but uh, cacao wasn't actually restricted to just the loftier sides of life. There were uh, ceremonies and celebrations that used it, and it was also an early form of currency. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in the 5th century CE, the Aztecs used it to buy food and other goods. For example, you could actually get a whole turkey for about 100 cacao beans. That feels like a pretty good deal. When you think, I don't know what the exchange rate is in cacao beans, but but I'd buy it. Yeah, well, what's amazing is that it bred some early counterfeiting schemes as well. Counterfeiting of beans? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. How, how do you counterfeit a bean? Do you just like take a rock and paint it or something? Yeah, well, if you want a turkey bad enough, anything's possible. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, so researchers have actually found these counterfeit beans at multiple dig sites in both Mexico and Guatemala. Mm. And at first glance, they just look like these incredibly well-preserved cacao beans. But once they actually touched them, the researchers realized that they were just made of clay. Which is pretty ridiculous. I mean, but if cacao was that valuable, I would have to think that it was a delicacy that was reserved for the super wealthy. I mean, if people were going through the trouble of making these phony clay beans, was it really hard to come by them or what? Yeah, I mean, it seems like the Mayans had taken a really generous approach to cacao in their day. They, uh, they thought of it as food from the gods, as we mentioned. So they thought it was meant for everyone to eat. So Mayan families, even the ones who weren't well off, would prepare batches of their favorite drink ahead of time, and then they'd enjoy it at every meal. Mm. And the Aztecs, on the other hand, considered cacao to be this upper-class luxury and almost a status symbol. And, I mean, that's partially because they were using it as money too, right? But uh, as a result, the lower classes would really only get a taste of the stuff at weddings or sometimes at community celebrations. But what is clear is that Aztec rulers really loved their cacao. Mm. And probably the most famous was uh, Montezuma. He supposedly drank, I, I think it's like 
gallons of hot chocolate every day. Ser- gallons? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine drinking gallons of anything. <laughs> yeah, so the Spanish explorer Cortez claimed to have witnessed Montezuma consuming more than 50 cups of chocolate in a single day. I should mention, though, that uh, some researchers think Cortez was exaggerating. All right, so just as a reminder, we, we, we remember that Cortez was the conquistador who conquered the Aztecs. So was he the first to bring chocolate back to Europe? Yeah, so this is fuzzy, too, just like with the Olmecs and the Shuar. It kind of depends on who you ask. So some historians claim Christopher Columbus was responsible for it. Uh, Others say it was Cortez who returned to Spain bearing cacao and also the chocolate-making apparatus for Montezuma's court. And whether or not uh, Cortez was the first, he was definitely obsessed with this concoction. So in a letter to King Carlos I of Spain in 1519, Cortez wrote, The divine drink which builds up resistance and fights fatigue a cup of this precious drink permits a man to walk for a whole day without food. <laughs> I mean, he might have oversold it just the tad. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, chocolate is really good. but mm-hmm. All right. So it might have been Columbus or it might have been Cortez. But either way, it sounds like Spain was definitely the first in Europe to experience chocolate, though, right? Yeah. I mean, that seems pretty clear. And there's even a third version of the story that attributes chocolate's European introduction to the Spanish albeit to clergymen rather than conquistadors. So this is according to The True History of Chocolate by Sophie and Michael Coe. And they say it was a Spanish friar who brought cacao beans as a gift. Apparently he did this while introducing Mayans to the court of Philip II. But no matter how chocolate made its way to Spain, it quickly caught on all over Europe. And of course, European palates weren't accustomed to that bitter, spicy brew enjoyed by the Aztecs. So they started making their own version of hot chocolate with cane sugar and cinnamon and other common spices. And by the 1650s, these super trendy chocolate houses popped up in London and Amsterdam and and even a few other cities. And it wasn't long after that that chocolate actually made its way back across the pond to American colonies. Wait, did you say chocolate houses or these like coffee houses or what? Yeah, exactly. They they were kind of these posh establishments. But uh, drinking chocolate actually predates both coffee and tea as a stimulant beverage in Europe. So it's actually more accurate to say that coffee houses are like chocolate houses rather than the other way around. Hmm. I mean, it's still crazy to me that drinking chocolate was the norm for so long. Yeah, apparently the eating chocolate that we're used to really didn't come about until like the 19th century. That's when these uh, British chocolatiers, Fry and Sons, hit upon the idea of adding sugar and cocoa butter to make a paste that could be molded into the world's first chocolate bar. Well, you know, the addition of sugar and fat, whether it was cocoa butter or milk, I mean, that was definitely a turning point for chocolate. And I do want to talk a little bit about why that is exactly. But first, let's take a quick break. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Okay, well, so I, I feel like I might know the answer to this one already, but why do you think adding sugar and fat to chocolate was such a great idea? I mean, in terms of taste, I think you could pretty much ask anyone in the world why adding sugar and fat might be good. <laughs> so so I think it helps on the taste front for sure. But sure. the biggest boon that sugar and fat gave to chocolate was actually this added sensory quality, you know, being something that melts in your mouth. I think it's it's actually pretty important. And that's something that didn't happen until sugar and fat were added. Yeah, that's right. So you know the old M&M slogan about melts in your mouth, not in your hand. Mm -hmm. But we actually should be more impressed with what M&M's pulled off with that because, as it turns out, getting chocolate to melt where and when you want it is not at all an easy task. So why is that? Well, because cocoa butter contains fatty triglycerides, and they can arrange themselves in six different ways. And each of those combinations results in its own unique melting point. But here's the catch to that. There's only one of those arrangements that actually has the proper melting point to melt in your mouth, but not outside. Of it. <laughs> so how do you get to the ideal melting point? Well, the trick is to nail that ratio between milk fat and cocoa. So, for example, you know, dark chocolate has this higher percentage of cocoa in proportion to milk fat, and that gives it a higher melting point. But milk chocolate, on the other hand, has much less cocoa than it does milk fat, which that's why it'll melt in your hand if you don't eat it quickly enough, which is why I tend to just shovel it into my <laughs> mouth. But the thing is, even for a talented chocolatier, it's actually pretty difficult to get those fatty triglycerides to crystallize just the way you want them to. And so it takes a lot of patience, takes a lot of skill, you know, to perfectly control the chocolate's temperature during this whole tempering process, you know, just so you don't throw your proportions out of whack in, in the process of doing this. You know, what's funny is that, uh, I mean, I, I love that this is an art to baking chocolate and how it melts, but I met this editor a long time ago. He was a really good book editor, and I was asking him how he got into the business, and he said he really wanted to be a chocolate maker. <laughs> but uh, so he went to like this famous chocolate maker in town in, in Vermont or something, and he shook hands with a lady, and she said, your hands are too warm. You'll never be good at this. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? So then yeah. you walk across the street to a bookstore and that's how I got into yeah. books. Like you're not tall enough to be a quarterback. <laughs> but I mean, I get why it's worth the effort, like, you know, making this creamy piece of chocolate that melts away and coats your tongue. That's a fantastic feeling. It really is. In fact, I was reading about this study from a group called Mind Lab and, and they tried to determine just how important that melting sensation is in our enjoyment of chocolate. So the researchers gathered a bunch of volunteer couples in their 20s. They monitored their heart rates and brain activity while they first melted chocolate in their mouths and then again while they were kissing each other. <laughs> That's pretty great. So all these couples are just like standing around the lab eating chocolate and then making out while wearing heart monitors and things strapped to their heads, I guess. And they were probably paid to do this as well, I guess. <laughs> Sounds like not a bad gig. But the crazy thing they discovered was that the melting chocolate caused a more intense reaction than the kissing did. Hmm. 
And I mean, the kissing did cause the volunteers' hearts to race, and I guess that's good for their relationships, but, you know, the chocolate made the effect last four times longer. It actually more than doubled volunteers' resting heart rates from about 60 beats per minute to 140. And the same kind of thing happened in the brain as well. So once this chocolate started to melt, the pleasure centers in the brain lit up more strongly and for a longer period than they did during the kissing. That's pretty nuts. And it kind of makes me think of how chocolate has this reputation as an aphrodisiac and how it's so strongly associated with love and Valentine's Day. It almost seems like that mouthfeel could be a big reason why. Oh, it definitely is. And and I was reading up on this a little, and it, it turns out that we actually have special touch receptors on our tongues, and and they respond to this change in texture of a melting piece of chocolate. So once our tongues detect this melting, we have these receptors that send the message to the brain, and that stimulates these feelings of pleasure. And the smell of chocolate has a similar effect, right? Yeah, that's right. And cacao beans are roasted and fermented during chocolate production, and these processes cause chemical changes in the beans, which ensure the chocolate has its own distinct aroma. There's actually over 600 flavor compounds produced in all, and they include everything from overcooked cabbage to human sweat to raw beef fat. <laughs> this is all making you hungry. <laughs> Mouth's watering. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, of course, none of these compounds smell anything close to chocolate on their own, thankfully, but they're unmistakable when joined together. It's such a strange thing, huh. but... In fact, these studies have shown that even just smelling chocolate stimulates the emotional, what you would call feel-good centers of the brain. Well, I, I know we talked earlier about some of the mood-altering chemicals that chocolate contains, but you're actually saying that your brain lights up from just the smell alone? Yeah, so the mood-enhancing substances we mentioned are only found in trace amounts in chocolate. So you're not really going to feel much of an effect from them unless you eat way more chocolate than you probably should. Hmm. But what's going on with smell is it, it's a little bit more psychological. And chocolate has this uniquely pleasurable smell and taste and texture to humans. So, you know, if we detect any of those sensations, we actually just get excited because we know we're about to eat some chocolate. <laughs> yeah, and it kind of makes you wonder if the whole idea of chocolate as an aphrodisiac is also just in our heads. Like, we live in a world where chocolate hearts are already symbols of affection and where chocolate has been viewed as decadent or indulgent for almost hundreds of years now. So whether or not chocolate spurs these romantic feelings, we've all kind of been conditioned to make these connections ourselves. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, for example, you mentioned Montezuma earlier. And, and that story I always remember about him is that he supposedly downed a bunch of drinking chocolate just before visiting his harem at night. And, you know, along with this story spread this idea that a daily dose of chocolate could enhance virility. But you, you've got to remember, this is the guy who reportedly drank, what, what did you say, 50 cups of 50 chocolate cups. every single day? <laughs> so drinking it before bed was probably just coincidence, right? Yeah, or habit. Right. But, uh, so l let me just recap things a little bit. Chocolate contains psychoactive chemicals, but not enough to have more than a slight effect on our senses. Its reputation as aphrodisiac is way overblown and mostly due to sort of this widespread placebo effect. And while it does have a unique smell, taste, and texture, we don't really know why the majority of humans respond as strongly to these qualities as we do. So I guess I'm wondering, like, where does that leave us? Like, is there an answer for why we love chocolate so much? Because somehow it tastes good isn't good enough. Well, I, I was reading this interesting BBC News article by a doctor. His name is Michael Mosley. And so he's a TV journalist, and he's worked on a bunch of different science programs. And there's one called The Secrets of Your Food, and it sounds like a pretty interesting show. But yeah. his idea for the unique appeal of chocolate goes back to that all-important addition of sugar and fat that we talked about earlier. 
namely that chocolate contains a combination of sugar and fat that you rarely find in nature. Now, separately, we, we obviously know that there are plenty of fruits that contain natural sugars, and then you've got nuts and fish, which are chock full of fat, but both of these together is a pretty rare thing. And in fact, one of the few natural sources where you'll find high levels of both sugar and fat is in milk. But, you know, even then, chocolate generally has a fat to sugar ratio of about one to two, which is higher than almost any kinds of milk except for one, and that's human breast milk. Huh. So Dr. Mosley talks about this. He explains that human breast milk is particularly rich in natural sugars, mainly lactose. Roughly 4% of human breast milk is fat, while about 8% is made up of sugars. Formula milk, which is fed to babies, contains a similar ratio of fats to sugars. This ratio, one gram of fat to two grams of sugars, that's the same ratio of fats to sugars that you find in milk chocolate. And of course, in biscuits and donuts and ice cream. In fact, this particular ratio is reflected in many of the foods that we find hard to resist. <laughs> so the reason we love chocolate is because it reminds us of breast milk. It, it I almost mean, that's, makes it uh, more appropriate for Mother's Day. Right. right. <laughs> well, that's the idea, though. I mean, that, that humans have a preference for the particular fat to carbohydrate balance that We've been conditioned to like from the start of our lives. And Mosley describes this chocolate obsession as an effort to, quote, recapture the taste and sense of closeness we got from the first food we ever sampled. Well, I definitely wasn't expecting that. But it does remind me of this chocolate quote I read from this Portuguese poet named Fernando Pessoa. Um, so, so you know how metaphysics is the branch of philosophy that deals with questions and about really plowing existence and the first causes and all that. Right. So uh, Pessoa said... There's no metaphysics on Earth like chocolate. <laughs> and he's right. So, I, I mean, there's so much history and lore and science wrapped up in chocolate that you can almost never really get your head around it or, or get to the beginning of it. And in the end, it's probably just best to eat it. Yeah. Well, I know Tristan agrees with that because he's eaten like 45 more pieces of this stuff <laughs> since the beginning of the episode. But all right, before we let him finish the rest of that box off, why don't we share a few more stories about chocolate in today's Fact Off? All right, well, I'll kick us off here. So we know there's obviously brown chocolate and white chocolate, which we weren't allowed to talk about today, even though I love because it's not <laughs> technically chocolate. But the good news is there will now soon be pink chocolate. And this is because, as we may have talked about earlier, you know, cocoa beans are actually kind of pinkish or reddish in their uh, in their natural state. And so it's taken about a decade or so for food scientists in Switzerland to figure this out. But soon we will actually have pink chocolate, which will maintain that fruitier flavor. It'll be a little less sweet, but I'm pretty eager to try some. Yeah, I'm excited about that. So I've got a different type of good news. If you actually want to increase your odds of winning a Nobel Prize, you should eat more chocolate. So <laughs> oh, Tristan's in luck. <laughs> he's going to have so many Nobels by the end of this year. <laughs> uh, a few years ago, a survey was taken of 23 Nobel laureates during the time of their prize-winning work, and it found that 43% of those reported eating chocolate at least twice a week. And that was higher than the 25% of people who were at a similar age and education level, but who had not won a Nobel. Wow. <laughs> so this really scientifically solid finding also came after a correlation that was found between national chocolate consumption and the rate of Nobel Prizes. I, I mean, that seems like pretty solid science to me. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, let's just forget that whole correlation causation thing and just <laughs> go with it. That's that's some good science there. That is pretty funny, though, that 43% of those Nobel winners were eating chocolate. What did you say? Twice, twice a, week. a Twice a week. Okay, that's still that's still pretty big. All right. 
Well, how weird is it that Quaker Oats financed the production of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Did you know about this? No. And that's actually why the name was changed from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory for the movie. And that's because they wanted to push their new Wonka candies and specifically the Wonka bar. Now, weirdly, they couldn't seem to get the formula for the bar just right. So they actually didn't even release a Wonka bar for a few years after the film. (laughs) But the film did help launch several other of their popular candies. And thankfully, it's still a pretty great movie. Yeah. So I I think we've talked about this German chemist who made those fart pills that make your tooth smell like chocolate. Right. But uh, I don't know why chocolate is always the go-to answer for this type of thing. But uh, this is like that story on steroids. So in, in 2016, Japan's sewage companies used a chocolate oil to mask the scent of their sewage trucks. Which I, I guess, you know, you'd have your kids running to meet the chocolate truck and suddenly they'd, they'd oh. be. <laughs> it seems like it would ruin the taste for chocolate. So they're smelling chocolate in the air and that's the sewage. Yeah. It, well, it covers up the sewage. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't yeah. That crazy. Wow. That's pretty interesting. All right. Well, my kids were asking not too long ago why dogs can't eat chocolate. And, and that's because chocolate contains this chemical that we actually talked about earlier, theobromine, which is a little bit like caffeine, and it's actually toxic to both dogs and cats. And so this is the main reason. And that's because their bodies aren't able to metabolize the chemical at the same rate that we can. So if they have a little too much chocolate, it just causes them to get sick or, or very sick. But if they have high doses of theobromine, it, it can actually have tragic results, as we know. Oh, man. Well, I feel like we need to bring this back to a slightly happier note. So did you know that Ruth Wakefield, the inventor of the chocolate chip cookies, sold her cookie idea to Nestle Tollhouse? And you know how she was compensated? With a lifetime supply of chocolate. No way. <laughs> Again, it's still so weird to me to think of somebody like as the inventor of the chocolate chip cookie. It just feels like that's something that should have just she always been there. Pray that in for so many turkeys. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I have to say that is a great fact and worthy of today's Fact Off Trophy. So congratulations, Mango. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening. If we've forgotten any great chocolate facts, we would love to hear from you guys. You can always email us parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com or call us on our 24-7 fact hotline. That's 1-844-PT-GENIUS. We've gotten so many great comments on Facebook and Twitter, so you can always hit us up there. But thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Gary Rowland does the exact producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eve Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Jason who?
thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings.